Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. If you don't like the weather, give it 30 minutes, it'll change. Uh, we've seen tornadoes, flooding, snow, 70 degrees, all in the same week. So if you don't like it, hang in there, it'll change. Uh, just welcome to our guests. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, if you'll stop by out in the vestibule area, there's a little table out there. We have a gift for you. It's got some information about our church and different ministries and just ways that we can uh, possibly serve you better. And uh, Valentine's Day is this week, so I thought I'd read. You can't really talk about love without talking about 1 Corinthians 13. So let me read this to you. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Notice in this text that never mentions anything about romance or gift giving. This love is extended to the single, the married, the widower, and the widow. And this love is fully demonstrated to us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Billy Graham said this, The fact that God is love does not mean that everything is sweet, beautiful, and happy, and that God's love could not possibly allow punishment for sin. God's holiness demands that all sin be punished, but God's love provided a plan of redemption and salvation for sinful people. God's love provided the cross of Jesus Christ, by which we can have forgiveness and cleansing. So this morning, that's the love that's offered to anyone without regard of your relationship status this morning. This love is offered to anyone who will call the name of Jesus, and this morning we're here to celebrate that love that is demonstrated towards us this morning through worship, giving, and teaching. So with that in mind, love is for everyone, but it comes from God. It's a perfect love. So with that in mind, if you will, stand and greet your neighbors and tell each other that God loves you.
unchangeable, unshakable. Amen? We want to invite you this morning to come for a time of prayer, but I have a few things as you, to announce before that. I want to thank you, first of all, as a church, for supporting us this morning in Romanian missions. Thanks for coming and giving for that. We want to thank you. And also, we will remember Janice Bowman's family today. She passed away this week. The service will be here today at 3 o'clock, and the viewing will start at 2. So I pray you'd come and support the family. Her daughters is Renee Kiever, Michelle Hartness. But we remember them in prayer this morning. Also, Jatana Elder's not feeling well either. I want you to lift her up in prayer. She's been in a battle all her life. So let's remember her and pray for her. And uh, you come this morning. We want to invite you to come and pray for those things that are on your heart. You come. morning father we thank you we praise you we worship you we glorify you the altogether lovely one and father you're here and we want to thank you that you're a god who hears and answers prayer lord i want to thank you for a new granddaughter i want to thank you lord that you heard that prayer lord i want to pray today that you continue to answer prayer in the heart of your people as they cry out to you because you're faithful and you're good and you're merciful and you're gracious and you're kind and lord we come this morning to surrender in ourselves to you in worship and adoration and lord to give you praise that lord when we go in our closet and shut the door that god that you hear us and that you answer because you're alive forevermore you're risen and Father, we pray this morning for those who are going through hard times, those who have lost loved ones, that you would be the God of all comfort and grace and peace to them and strength. Father, be with the Bowman family today. And Father, I pray you'd comfort them in a very special way. And Father, this morning we want to thank you, God, that you do hear us. And I pray for Jatana, Elder, that you'd be with her. And Lord, I pray to be with Gary and Kathy. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for this time that we have. Lord, a time to embrace you, a time to love you. And Father, may we go out from here and make a difference in the world that we live in. And thank you for loving us today. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give, that others might go and share the gospel across this street and around the world. Because many people have never heard the good news that Jesus died for them. Thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you for your mercy. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Lay down your
may be seated.
What a truly humbling thought. When's the last time you really just sat down and thought about it? Where would I be without the Lord? If he were not faithful, where would I be? But I think we're all here, and you could all agree with me that we are here because we serve a faithful God. And uh, today it is my honor to introduce our guest speaker. Um, before I do that, though, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, in the bulletin, it does say that we do not have a WANA tonight, but that was, we've had a schedule change since that was printed. Um, we had planned not to have a WANA a few months ago, but we didn't get the memo to Pam. So we are having a WANA. Tonight we'll be on a regular schedule. So please make a note of that. And then right after the service also, we want to invite all of our parents who have kids that may be going to children's camp this summer or going to uh, youth camp. Uh, both of those camps this summer at Lookup Lodge. And uh, they're going to have a brief meeting right after the service. So when, that's, when it's over, just gather around here at the front in the front pews. And we're going to have a brief meeting to give you information. Also, Greg's going to just stay back uh, just a little bit longer to say a word to you as parents. But um, our guest speaker today is Greg Boone. Greg is the executive director at Lookup Lodge. If you've been here at East Taylorsville for any time, you've heard the name Lookup Lodge many, many times. I'm just curious, how many of you, just raise your hand, if you've been to Lookup Lodge as a leader, as a student, um, maybe um, some of you that went to camp years ago, you got your own kids now. It's been that long. But if you've been at Lookup Lodge at any time, raise your hand. Quite a few around here. So any of you that have been to Lookup, you understand uh, and how excited I am to have Greg here, if you've heard Greg speak before. Greg doesn't get a chance to do this very often. They stay busy at camp. He just can't travel away from there a lot. But um, I would just like to say to Greg that, that Greg has had probably one of the most significant spiritual impacts on my life than anybody else and it's been through those times at camp um, through his teaching some of you have been impacted indirectly by Greg whether you realize it or not either through my teaching if you got a lamb book when you dedicated your child or you've been given one of those at some time that was something we got exposed to through Greg and the ministry at Lookup Lodge and that has impacted countless families even in our church but um, his ministry um, God has blessed it greatly, and he has blessed my life through Greg, and it is truly an honor to have him here. So let's put our hands together. Welcome Greg Boone from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Look up Lodge. So good to have you. I love you. The, the right hand of fellowship right there. Well, good morning. Good morning. I am, I'm very glad to be here. It's very very humbling um, to be able to do this. I, um, I met a friend from high school. I went to McDowell uh, High, and a friend came up and spoke to me uh, this morning. And she said, I saw your name. And she said, is that the Greg Boone that I knew in high school? And I, and I, I said, oh, I hope not. I really, <laughs> I can't tell you how much I hope that that's not true. All right, let me show you something real quick not trying to be cool, but when I put on these sunglasses, all right, here's the thing. I want you to, I want you to grab this. It colors everything I look at. It tints everything I'm looking at right now. It doesn't matter what it is. There's not a single object in this room. There's, there's not a shirt, not the stained glass, not any of these lights that right now is, has not been affected, is not being filtered through the lens, through the lens of these sunglasses. I won't do this a lot, so. <laughs> through the lens of these glasses. And so, so here's, here's the point. I'm going, I'm going to be 
Let me be trying to communicate a couple ideas to you. These ideas, we could spend an exhaustive amount of time really digging in, exegeting the scripture to get to the heart of these. That's not what I'm going to try to do. Uh, all I'm going to try to do, all I'm going to try to do tonight, uh, this morning, excuse me, is, is have you consider the possibility of putting on a different lens. That if you put on a different lens and look at some of these ideas and look at what Scripture is trying to tell us, you might see something very differently. Now, let me say this. Let me say this again. We all, we all have a lens that we look at life through. We all have a lens that we look at Scripture through. Few of us are anywhere close to as a, uh, really objective at viewing Scripture as we think we are. There's a lot of things. We can look at verses, and there's a lot of ideas. When I talk about these lenses, what I mean, there are these ideas that I have in my head that I'm reading Scripture through, maybe not even consciously aware of it. The Scripture says something. I presume what it means. I, 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 I presume this idea, and so all I do is, is I, just, I just find all these, see, all these Scriptures to support my idea. But, the, but here's the thing. If I really looked a little differently, if I, if I had a different lens, I might see that scripture very different. Very different. So here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing for this morning. Here's all I would like you to do. Some of you, this, this may be like, yeah, yeah, I know everything you're talking about. It's no big deal. You didn't need that setup. Some of you, this might be a really radical idea. Really crazy idea that I'm going to be communicating to you this morning. I, I'm, I'm really sincere about that. It might really just be like, what in the world? I, I run a risk of sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher up here, right? Wah, 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 wah. Like it's such a crazy idea, you just can't even dial it up. What I would like you to do, what I would like you to do is when you leave here, I would like you to take this idea that I'm going to present and at least for a while, dig into Scripture with this lens on. Dig into the Scripture, do the work, and see if all of a sudden a light bulb doesn't go off and what I say this morning doesn't start to make sense to you. Aristotle, pretty smart guy, he said the mark of an educated man is the ability to entertain an idea without having to accept it. Just give it an honest, an honest hearing. Without Now, I want you to accept this idea, but I do not hold that all of you could leave out of here and walk out having accepted this idea. I'm, I'm not going to be that naive to believe that. What I want you to do is at least consider it long enough to dig into the Scripture. I want you to accept it. I think it's right, and I think it is life-changing. I think it is a game-changer for Christianity. I think it is a game-changer for the, for the individual Christian. I really believe that. But I want you to at least leave that, be open to looking at this, holding this idea, look at the scriptures, and see if what I'm telling you this morning, if you can't become completely convinced of it in a very life-changing way. Let me give you a little hook, and then I'll back completely out of it. I'll back completely out of it and, and, and give you the message. Here's the little hook. I really don't think that Jesus Christ died on the cross to keep you out of hell. I really don't think Jesus Christ died on the cross to get you into heaven. I don't think that's what he came to do at all. Let me say it again, just in case you thought, oh, he's already Charlie Brown's teacher. I must have misunderstood that. Oh, no, 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 no. I do not believe 
that what Jesus Christ came to do, that his mission on this earth was to keep you out of hell or get you into heaven. I do not believe that was his mission. Now let me back out of that. There's the hook, now that you're all paying attention or have already rejected it. I think there are two things, two things that have really served to undermine the cause of Christ, have really served to, to take the heart, the strength, the passion of this thing that was supposed to be a radical, earth-changing movement and have really just domesticated it, have really taken the steam out of it, have reduced it down to just another of the world's religions? Two things. One is this. I think one of the huge mistakes that we made somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way in Christianity, is when we made Matthew 28 the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says this, Therefore, this is Jesus' words. I know that because I've read the passage and they're in red. So I know it's Jesus' words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, what's interesting is, how many of you in your Bibles is that section actually labeled the Great Commission? How many? A lot of them? Just look real quick and see. We'll take our time. Take your time. I didn't tell you what the passage was, so I can't fuss at you for not having your Bibles open already, because why would I have them open there? How many of it has it's labeled the Great Commission? Yeah, and it doesn't really matter what the translation is, right? Now, here's what's interesting. You will not find the word great or commission anywhere in that passage. Right? doesn't say great, doesn't say commission. So how did it get labeled that? Well, some human being decided to label it that. Somebody decided to call it, and I've tried to research it. it there's speculation, some 17th century nobleman who may have started kind of looking at this passage and calling it the Great Commission, all the way to Hudson Taylor, uh, who talked about his, 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 the Great Commission God had on his life was to go to China, and he would reference this verse a lot. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, at least within the last 200 years, it got into our heads and got into our churches that the Great Commission was Matthew 28 to the point that Bible publishers started labeling this section the Great Commission. Again, even though the word great or commission is not in there. Now, here's the thing. What is a commission? When we call this the Great Commission, what are we actually saying? Well, a commission simply means this. It's a set of instructions. It's a set of instructions to a group or individuals. That's all a commission is. So what we're saying is that Jesus' great instruction, now listen to me, we're saying this is the, my, mine says the great instruction, not one of the great, not a good, mine says the great instruction of Jesus is to go to all the world and make disciples. Listen to me carefully. I really think this is a game changer. I do not think the great instruction of Jesus is Matthew 28. I think this is one of the really super good instructions of Jesus. I don't think it's his great instruction. I think Jesus' great instruction. Flip to John 15.
John 15, skip to verse 5. I'm going to presume a lot of familiarity with this text, with a lot of my audience. But look at verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think this is the Great Commission. I think the great instruction of Jesus is not to go to all the world and make disciples. I think the great instruction of Jesus is to be a disciple. And the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple is a daily, moment by moment, hour by hour, abiding in Christ. I think I can make the case real easy. You ready? Real easy. Not even complicated. Right? If you're not convinced, I, can, I got you right here. You ready? Not a trick question. Not a trick question. Is going to all the world and making disciples a thing? Is that a thing? It's not a trick question. I'm not being philosophical. The answer is yes. That's a thing. Right? Is going to all the world and making disciples a thing? Yes. Is going to all the world and making disciples a thing? Yes. One more time. Is going to all the world and making disciples a thing? Yes. yes. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do no thing. And going and making disciples a thing, you just told me. You cannot do Matthew 28 if you do not first and foremost emphasize John 15. There's a very practical reason for that. God established a principle all the way back in Genesis that everything on this planet, every single thing biologically on this planet reproduces according to its kind. Dogs make dogs. Cats make Oak trees make, daisies make, right, giraffes make, and we keep going. Everything reproduces according to its kind. What, what if that's not just a physical, biological truth? What if that's a spiritual truth? What if everything reproduces according to its kind? That would lend me to another question. What makes disciples? What makes a disciple? Great discipleship programs from Nashville. No. We've tried it that way, haven't we? We've tried it that way. How are we doing? Not real good. I mean, listen, a little freebie. When I say we're not doing good, I mean, we're really not doing good. We got pockets here and there. This is a pocket. A lot of churches I talk to are pockets. My church is a pocket. Doing really great. Crushing it. Just, just crushing it. But I cannot find on a national scale, I cannot find a single positive statistic on the growth or health of the American church. Not one now, if I had 100 statistics and 51 of them were negative and 49 were positive, I'd think that was a crisis. Oh, we got more negative. I can't find one 
on a national scale. Not one. Well, our church is growing. Yeah, 90% of them are in plateau or decline. 90% of, 80, 80% of Southern Baptist churches are in plateau or decline. 80% of Southern Baptist churches are in plateau or decline. There's entire denominations in this country that statistically I see no way they exist in 10 years. Why? Because the overwhelming, overwhelming, almost 70-odd percent. I'm going I'm to go with my last statistic, and I know this statistic's wrong. 70% is over the age of 65. Average age of death in America is still around 75. I just made some of you feel real bad, but I'm sorry. That's the statistic. Is over 75. Only 3% under 25. That means it's a 67% net loss in 10 years. They're done. As a denomination, they're done. And I could go through statistic after statistic. How are we doing with young people? Oh, my goodness. More teenagers exist in America than have ever existed in human history. And the numbers of those involved in churches, the number of those that would profess to be followers of Jesus, we're down into the single digits. How's it working for us? Man, it ain't working. Here's what I believe. I, I believe this to the marrow of my souls. This is ridiculously over, overly simplistic. I know it's more nuanced and more complicated than this, but it still stands as a pretty profound truth. I really wonder where we would be, where we would be towards Matthew 28 of making disciples of all nations had we for the last 200 years emphasized, emphasized, and emphasized again John 15. I wonder how far along we would be at making disciples if what we had emphasized was being a disciple. Because it's disciples that make disciples, not discipleship programs. I'm not saying don't have discipleship programs. They're extra. They're, they're they're, they cannot be the heartbeat of this. It'd be a long conversation beyond the scope of the day to even start talking about what the word church even means. I wonder how many of you in this room, bless your hearts, actually think this is church. Actually think this is church. Biblically that this is church. Now again, long conversation for another day, but I'm telling you right now, I, I, if you'd went up to the Apostle Paul, back when the church was being established, when he was going around establishing the church, if you'd went up to the Apostle Paul and asked him, are you going to church Sunday? I don't think he would have had a clue what you were talking about. Go to church. He'd look at you like, how do you go to church? Because Paul would have had no concept of the church being a geographic location or an event. Nothing in his radar screen would have made the word church mean an event at a certain time of day at a certain place. Certainly not a building. You know, we didn't build a building for 300 years after Jesus. We didn't build a building for 300 years after Jesus. But I'm pretty sure that might have been our best centuries of church. The church turned the world upside down. The church turned the Roman Empire on its ear. The church 
Church is skin and bone. It's not brick and mortar. It's blood and it's soul. It's not wood and stained glass. The church, the real church of Jesus, is a gathering of any size of disciples. If you and I, if you and I could reemphasize in our private and corporate lives being a disciple, I promise you from everything I know from history and everything I know from Scripture and everything I know in my own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will emphasize being a disciple, if you will emphasize the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple, which is a deep, abiding, intimate, passionate, dependent, up under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ on every single moment of your life to some ridiculous details, I promise you, I promise you, your biggest problem is going to be parking. Your biggest problem is going to be parking. All right, some of you are looking at me funny. This one even this ain't even my notes. I don't have notes, so nothing's in my notes. But how could we double the amount of people? And I'm not saying this is even needs to be your objective. I'm just how could you double the amount of people showing up here next year? In one year, how could you double the amount of people coming into this building? One, instead of being in plateau or decline, a 100% increase in one year. Boy, I'd like to see, I wish I could read the bubbles over some of your heads right now. I really wish I could read the bubbles over who you want to hire and what you want to build, right? And what program you want to do. And I'm going to give you the answer. You ready? Ever stinking one of you, win one of your lost friends and bring them here. You ain't got to take on another dollar of debt. You ain't got to hire nobody. You ain't got to build nothing. All you got to do is have a deep abiding relationship with your Lord and Maker. Be a disciple and go about doing the work of the disciple, which is making disciples. But that's just one of them. I said there were two things. That's a big one. I can do a whole series on that one. Here's the other one. It's the one I hinted at already. We really, really did a disservice to the mission of Jesus when we reduced it down to keeping us out of hell and getting us into heaven. I'm going to tell you straight up, and again, I'll eat up most of my time this morning. I, we are not going to dig into this. I don't have time to go through 120 verses in the New Testament that most of us, not, most, not, not in this room, I wouldn't say in this room, but most people, it seems, in American Christianity are reading wrong. They put on a lens, and they're reading it, and they're not even thinking about what they're saying. They're not even thinking about it.
Why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Why did the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, come and die on the cross? You know, that's the whole point of John's gospel. The whole point of John's gospel is that's the creator hanging on that cross. I do this with students all the time. I, try, I say, try to get the biggest picture of God you can. Try to imagine a God so huge, so big. We were doing it with little kids one time years ago at Lookup. And, and a little small group said, how big is God? And one of the little kids said, God is bigger than this stage. And so the next little kid goes, no, God is bigger than the whole chapel. And the next little kid goes, no, God is bigger than all of Lookup. You see where this is going. God is bigger than South Carolina. God is bigger. Finally, one little kid raised his hand and said, God is bigger than the oceans. And it was like all the other kids conceded. Yep, that's as big as you get. That's it. (laughs) Any bigger. Summer staffer read the scripture, and God holds the oceans in the palms of his hands. And all the little kids went, whoa. I said, he's big. A God that speaks a universe into existence. I mean, you, I, I, sometimes I've just had people just, 60, just 30 seconds. We don't take the time this morning. 30 seconds, just try to imagine the bigness of God, the hugeness of God. Get the biggest picture of God you can and then make the hard turn and get the most vivid picture of Jesus tortured to death on the cross and know that those are exactly the same being. did Jesus die on a cross? Now we know the answer. He died to fix our sin problem. Okay, that's great. Make a good bumper sticker. Put it on a billboard. Here's the question. What's our sin problem? What was the problem our sin created? I'll give you a hint. Genesis chapter 3. What happened? And again, I'm not going to flip that and look at it. I'm, I'm presuming a lot about who's in this room. I'm not doing a high school assembly. This is some of Jesus' church. What happened in Genesis? What was the result of their sin? It wasn't that they were in this spiritual plane we call heaven and they were kicked out of heaven and so God's trying to get them back into heaven. That's not what happened in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 is this deep, intimate, abiding relationship with their creator was severed, broken. Friendly terms, the friendly terms that humanity was on with God were gone. You know, we say sometimes, we have to be careful. You have to be very, very careful with this. We say sometimes that coming to Jesus, it's about, it's about getting a relationship with God. Be careful. That's not exactly correct. What's a relationship mean? Literally, what's a relationship mean? It just means how two things relate. What's the relationship of the opposite poles of a magnet? They attract. What's the relationship of the same poles of a magnet? They repel. Relationship is just how people... It's not like, you know, I mean, a mar- every marriage has a relationship. 
They have a way they're relating to each other. If, they were, if, if they're relating well to each other, what kind of relationship do we call that? It's a good relationship. If they're relating badly to each other, what do we call the relationship? Every single human being on this planet has a relationship with God. Every single human being on this planet has an, a completely unavoidable relationship with God. Problem is, in our natural state, the relationship is very bad. We do not relate to God the way we should. And by the way, I'm going to say this, he does not get to relate to us the way he wants to. He wants to relate to humanity very differently. I'm going to use a phrase. I'm going to use a phrase just in our vernacular, sort of gin up the emotion. He wants to relate to us desperately in a different way. That's the cross. That's how desperate he is. I don't mean in the sense of him being anxious or worried about it. I mean in the sense of that emotional drive that God himself would have to say, this is how much I want you back in a right relationship with me. That's what Jesus came to fix. The mission of Jesus is one thing. To take a person in a bad relationship, how they relate to him, how he relates to them, and through the cross of Jesus Christ, turn it into an unbelievably loving, deep, passionate way that they relate to God and God relates to them. That's the mission of Jesus. That's what he came to do. Now listen to me clearly, listen to me clearly. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell. They're just consequential. They're not the point. Here's the thing to put on your lens and go read. Go read through the scriptures and find all the verses about heaven and find all the verses about hell. You're going to find it very scarce throughout the scriptures. They're there, but they're like, they're like almost like these little, like little end notes. Little, like they're not the point. It's just not the point. It's barely talked about. Why is it barely talked about? Because it's not the point. It's not the question God's asking. God's not asking the question we're asking. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. Again, they're consequential. For those that want to be in a relationship with God, there's a way through Jesus. You can have this great relationship with him. It goes on forever, heaven, for those who don't. You want to stay in a broken relationship with God, it goes on forever too. It's called hell. But they're just consequences. The heartbeat. The heartbeat of it. Is relationship. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Not so that you don't have to go to hell. Not so that one day you can go to heaven. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. So that right now today. You can enter into a beautiful loving, intimate relationship with your maker. 120 times God talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And again, that's where we put on that lens. We hear kingdom of heaven and we think something far off and distance. And, but the grammar there oftentimes is present tense. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
Because the kingdom of God is not about some spiritual location. The kingdom of God is about being back in relationship with the king. His kingdom is established. His kingdom is advanced wherever there are people coming back into relationship with the king. Homes become his kingdom when the people in that home come under relation, come back into relationship with the king. We betray, we betray how much we miss this. We betray how much we miss this. And I think it has been, I really believe this. I really believe this. I might be wrong. I don't think I am. I got a lot of traction. Got a lot of years. My evidence is anecdotal, but it's, it carries a lot. I work with 250 churches a year at Look Up for 21 years. I mean, I got a lot of big sampling. I'm telling you, we talk about it being a personal relationship with God, and we betray that we don't actually believe that in the way we evangelize. What do you mean? Some of us around my age, I don't know if it's still out there, but I mean, here's, here's how we were taught to present the gospel. If you died tonight, where would you be? You realize you won't find that question being answered in Scripture? That's kind of a cool question. Neat question. Somehow Jesus missed it. Somebody should have told him, Jesus, he really hears what you need to be saying. You really need to be asking people what's going to happen to them when they die. You're talking about a lot of stuff going on now. I mean, you be talking about what's going to happen when they die, Jesus. That's not the question. We have really and truly made the heartbeat of Christianity a, listen to me carefully, a somewhere later idea. Can I say that again? We have made the heartbeat of Christianity, the core of Christianity, a somewhere later idea. It's all about heaven or hell. Something that happens in this weird place we're not really sure about later on. So much so that when I was in there, I just said I wasn't a believer, but I went to church because there were some people there that were cool, so I went to church. And I really thought, yeah, I'll become a Christian one day, but not now. I mean, now I'm like 14 and bulletproof. Like, why well, become a Christian now? I mean, I'm just going to sit around on a pew and wait to die. I mean, there's no point to it now. I'm looking at some of your faces, and I just wish I could read your minds right now, because some of you just went, that's what I've been doing for 30 years. I mean, I became a believer when I was 19. I just basically been going to church waiting to die. Oh, bless your bones. No, 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 no. That ain't the question. Stop asking that question. Stop asking people if they want to go to heaven or hell. <laughs> What? Who's? You want to go to hell when you die? No. Who's going to say yes? Yes. Would you like to go to heaven? Yes, I would. Fantastic. Here's the question. You ready? I'm I'm so serious about this. Now remember. Wait, wait, wait. Now listen to me. I just sensed it in the room. I told you. I'm not laying all the verses that we're not doing next to Jesus. I'm, I'm laying this big thing out here that you go back and you start digging in this book and you tell me. You tell me because there's a verse of scripture that says Greg's an idiot, don't believe anything he says. Really, it's more talking about Paul, but you can insert me in there. Remember that little verse where it said Paul was teaching and they went back and they said they were checking everything he said against the scriptures. 
Everything Paul said, they were going back and checking against the scriptures, right? You check this. You start reading the book through this lens. Here's the question. You ready? Here's the question God is Pope. Listen, this is the question God has been posing to humanity since Genesis chapter 3. It was his whole point. You ready? Yes. You've been ready for the last two minutes. It's taking you a sec. Do you want to do life with God today or not? Yes, I do. There's a way. No, I don't. Enjoy your coffee. And we're kind of done. I, 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 I got nothing else to say to you. Not do you want to go to heaven? Not do you not step up? No, no. Do you want to do life with God? Do you want to come back into a relationship with your creator? You'll spend the rest of your life trying to learn how to do this relationship well. That's the abiding part. But is that what you want? Is that what you want? Let's start asking that question. I can feel this room full of people who don't want to go to hell. I can feel this room full of people who want to go to heaven. I can't find too many people in too many buildings called churches that really want to do Monday with God. That really want to do Friday night with God. That really want to do their marriage and their parenting and their finances and their hobbies with God. And that's the question. I spoke at a school, big, huge Christian school, quotation marks, Christian school down on the coast in Charleston. Huge school. Spoke to their, just their seniors. I, I don't hundreds. Of, I mean, twice the size of this room, full. And I taught on this little section right here, just this part two of my message this morning. I taught on that for three days. They were having none of it. I mean, none of it. Like, you don't have to have the spiritual gift of discernment. You just have to be able to read body language, right? When you look at a bunch of students and they're doing like this, this means they ain't having none of it. One of the girls finally said it to one of her teachers. Teacher came back and reported to me. She said, I'm a Christian. I want to go to heaven when I die. Now, this is a Christian school. She said, but I'm not interested in doing life with God. Well, bless her. I'm glad she did, at least she said it. I only have a problem with one, one thing she said. I don't have a problem with her saying I want to go to heaven when I die. Of course she does. I don't have a problem with her being honest and saying I don't want to do life with God. What I have a problem with is her saying I don't want to do life with God. I'm a Christian. Somehow we've got to recapture the idea that Christian isn't religious people wanting to go to heaven and avoid hell. Christian means Christ-like people. It means disciples. It means people who want to learn better and better how to do life with God today. We've got it backwards We've made the objective heaven and oh yeah, the little cherry, learn how to live with him today. Like it's a little extra. Is your eternity secure, brother? I don't care if you think your eternity secure. I don't care about your eternity. I care about Monday. I care about again your marriage. 
I care about your voice and your witness and your community, your eternity. Big whoop. Do life with God. Hope the Bible's true and you get to keep doing it forever. If you don't want to do life with God, you're not going to like heaven much anyway. I mean, what do you think it's going to be? I don't want to do life with God, but I do want to go to heaven. It's going to stink for you in heaven. <laughs> That's all it is. Paul said it as clearly as it can be said. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll close with this. As you're looking, remember what I said? Remember what I said? What's a relationship? A relationship is how two things relate. Every human being on this planet has a relationship with God. An unavoidable relationship with God. Unavoidable relationship with God. They have a way they relate to God, and they have a way that God relates to them. Unavoidable. You can, you can be an atheist, deny it, it doesn't matter. You might as well deny gravity. It's true. What Jesus came to do was take you from bad relationship to great relationship with your Creator. Look at how Paul says this. Uh, look at 17, just to get a little flow. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are gone. All, all, behold, all things become new. Look at verse 18. All things are of God, who has, what's that word? Reconciled us to himself. What's the word reconciled mean? This is a great word. You ready? If you didn't even know, you could guess at it based on everything I've said for the last 39 minutes. Reconciled means to be put back on friendly terms with. Back on friendly terms. If a husband and wife stay together, it doesn't really mean they've reconciled. They've only reconciled if they're back on friendly terms. You with me? All things are from God who put us back on friendly terms with God through Jesus Christ. And he has given us this ministry of... What's Paul say his ministry is? He's given us this ministry of keeping people out of hell. No, no. He never says that. He, he never... Like, I can't even get a hint at everything. That he's given us this ministry of getting people into heaven when they die. No. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation, of people being put back in friendly terms with their Creator. That is, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses. I usually read the NIV, but it does not have cool words like imputing. It's a cool word. Imputing really means like not putting the weight of our sin on us, who did he impute our sin to? Himself. Himself. Not imputing their trespasses against him, he has committed to us the word, you can think of this, the message of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. How many of you have heard that phrase before? 
But we've totally, I'm telling you, I have seen it. I have heard it in sermons after sermon after sermon. We have totally messed up what he is saying. We take this verse, we rip it out of its context. We're in a messenger for, I'm an ambassador for Jesus to keep people out of hell. That's not what he's saying. I'm an ambassador for Jesus to get people to heaven. No, to get people to church. No, 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 no. The ministry is reconciliation. I'm an ambassador of Christ to help people be back on friendly terms with God. That's it. Game, set, match, nothing else. Get you back into God, spend the rest of our lives together trying to figure out how to do life with God. You understand that? Let me say this, a little freebie for some of the young people. I've been married 30 years. 30 years in December, my 30th year anniversary. I am no more married today than I was 30 years ago when we stood in the church and I said I would, she said she would, and preacher said we were. <laughs> am I any more of a husband today than I was one second after I stepped down off that altar and walked out of that church? Yes or no? Not one second. Not, not a, I am no more married. I'm no more of a, you think I'm a better husband than I was then? Well, I've been married 30 years, so the answer has to be Yes. Because that knucklehead, uh-uh. No, 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 no. I get instant, I'm instantly a husband. I've spent 30 years trying to figure out what in the world that word actually means. What does it really mean to be a husband? How to be a good husband. You get instantly reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. You spend the rest of your life trying to figure out, now this friendly relationship, how's this thing work out? Not when you die... See, that's why eternity starts when you trust Jesus. It doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start when you die. It starts when you trust Jesus. When we die, we just sort of pass over. There's this little empty... I actually think... Another sermon for another day. I, I, think, I think this idea of like souls up in heaven, I don't, that's not the language of the Bible. The, the language of the Bible is resurrected bodies. In what? What they call the New Jerusalem. I think the New Jerusalem is nothing more than a more detailed description of Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I think Eden's plan A, and that's how he wraps it all back up. Oh, I got some of you on that one. Okay, give me, give me just a little, give me a little extra. I, this, again, not in my notes. I don't have notes, but not in my notes. Think about this for a second. A little freebie, a little freebie, because I think this ties in to how current and how it is right now. It's not future, it's right now. Was Eden plan A? If we think heaven, some spiritual existence up in the clouds being fat, you know, angels with wings, playing harps, whatever it is, we don't really think that. But we do think it's some sort of weird spiritual kind of thing, right? If Eden was plan A, physical existence, physical planet, physically interacting with God, if that was plan A, then now we have to settle for plan B. You ever thought about that? Or that was plan B. Aren't we glad they sinned because now we get plan A? That gets weird too, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Some of you are like, I ain't thought about that. I don't like thinking about things like that. They make my head hurt. <laughs> How about neither one of those is right? Another, you keep studying, you keep digging, but you ready? What if Eden was plan A? God did not come up with a plan B. He's not a plan B God. He doesn't start with B. He doesn't end with B. He's a plan A God. What he came up with was not a plan B. He came up with a way to redeem, literally buy back plan A. And it doesn't go like this. It goes like 
this. And that is what we get back. You've read the verses, new heaven and a new, I saw the new Jerusalem come down. We go up to meet him as he's coming down. We're going to live with the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God said. God said, I will now make my dwelling with man. See, some of you know the verses. You just never actually thought about what they might mean. You know the verse, but you got on this lens that you can't even read the verse through. Verse 20, go back. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making this appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, go to heaven when you die. Is that what he says? What does it say? I got two translations up here. They say the same thing. We implore you on Christ's behalf, what? Be reconciled to God. I, I, I don't know how I could get into a pulpit and give you a message of anything other than the one I can give you this morning. And it's not desire to go to heaven and it's not desire to stay out of hell. The message I have for you this morning is this. Be reconciled to God today. Come back into friendly terms with your creator today. Eternal life can start today. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross. I'll loop it all the way back to my opening statement. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross so that you could go to heaven when you die. He did not die on a cross to keep you out of hell when you die. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that today you can do life with him if you want to do that. Now listen to me carefully. This is a hard way to end, but I'm going to end my part, and then I'm going to hand this hand grenade to Kevin and walk off the stage. If you want to do life with God, if you want to come back into friendly terms with your maker, Christ has made a way. Through faith and trust in him, and that alone, you can come back and start this whole new relationship with God. If you don't want that. If you do not want to do life with God today, Jesus of Nazareth has nothing to offer you. Nothing. Because that's what he came to offer. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you did and the extent that you went through what you did, literally. What, it's so funny, God. I just want to say it's so unbelievable and then turn right back around and say, you know, the only condition is that we really believe it. That when we face you one day and you ask, hey, why forever, why should I let you back in relationship with me? Why should you be able to dwell with me forever? Our answer can only be one thing. It can't start with a single I statement. Our only answer, our only answer starts with a name, Jesus. Father, my only hope before you is what your son did on the cross. I lean fully and completely in that as my only hope of, that I could sit on that 
I could sit on that pew and genuinely pray to my friend, my Savior, and my Lord. Genuinely have relationship with you on that pew, praying before I came up here. Genuinely have relationship with you, listening to you as we walk through this entire message together, God. Literally, I can have relationship with you only because of what your son did on the cross. Father, I, I hope, I hope that that is what the people in this room want. From this day forward, from this day forward, to do life with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a, a familiar hymn. It basically says, without him, I can do nothing. And maybe today, the Lord has used the words from Greg, from Scripture, to bring you to a point of understanding that your greatest need is Christ. That for you, maybe today, when Scripture says to repent and believe, it's a change of mind. It is changing what you've always thought to try, finally come to a point where you put your faith alone in Christ. Believe in Him because He is our only hope. And maybe today the Lord's dealt with you. Uh, our staff will be available here at the front. If you'd like to speak to us, we'll be available after the service. But let's close together as we sing this song. Some of you may want to come up here and speak to Greg. Greg, thank you for being here today for the message that you've shared. And what you heard today, think about having a week of unpacking some of that stuff that our kids get poured into when they're gone to camp for a week. Um, it is a life-changing week. And Greg, thank you for your ministry, for your faithfulness, and thank you for being here today. We're on a regular schedule tonight. I um, hope you have a great afternoon. The funeral today at 3 o'clock. Uh, if, you, if you're going to be a part of that, we encourage you to be here for that. You're dismissed. <laughs>